Life as a 17-year-old witch can't get much better for Eli Toller. But when ancient powers are awakened... It's her. She's come back. <laughs> She's thrown into a world of witches, spirits, and demons. Eli! She's been taken. By whatever was attached to her? I don't know. It's blocking me. What's strong enough to block you? Joshua. And she's forced to learn quick, or risk the ones she loves the most. Hey, help me. <gasps> Trevor? Trevor! Eli? Give me a second. I'm not even sure if this will work. Join Eli as she learns to accept her true self in The Restorer, a supernatural drama podcast produced by Ninth Way Media. Available at www.therestorerpodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. Inumine Cinema et TV, Espiritu Streaming. Amen. Hello, awesome people. Welcome back to another episode of the Hollywood Confessional. Now, this is a big week for us. We have just recently launched and we've been getting some of our first reviews. And I want to say thank you so much to the people who have been kind enough to give us these good reviews and also to a person who has been kind enough to give us some constructive criticism in a review. They mentioned that they love the concept, but they also have a hard time listening to the show because of the sort of the balance of the sound effects and the bleeps and all that kind of stuff. And so I just want to say, hey, if you're still listening, we heard you and we are going to make an adjustment and see how it goes moving forward. So thanks so much for your feedback. You know, I'm going to take the blame on that one. I went to too many concerts as a teenager without <laughs> earplugs and I'm pretty deaf. I needed those bleeps <laughs> just to know what was going on. All right. I'll let you take the blame. I have no problem with that at all. <laughs> but if you want to get technical about it, I lowered the levels eight decibels, so we should be better now. Oh, okay. Cool. And I'm glad you're here to tell me that because I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and we are glad that you guys are all here listening today because today's confession is a doozy. It's called Porn Car. It's about an unbelievably insane experience working in a production on a well-known TV show. Trust me, y'all have seen this one. And it has more jaw-dropping moments than the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race. I love that show, by the way. And what I love about this story are the confessor's takeaways. A lot of industry people we talk to are still processing their experiences, and they come on this show because they need to get something off their chests. This one is pure, uncut fun. It's a behind-the-scenes story the speaker could never tell publicly, because they still work with some of those people. But their secret is safe with us. You ready to get into it? Let's step into the confessional booth. Let me tell you a little story about being a young, hungry person in the movie business. That's my favorite kind. It starts with me looking for a change. I've been working in post-production for about 10 years. That kind of work was drying up. And I wanted to learn about film and TV by being the low man in all the different departments so I could understand how all the stuff worked. Now, there's unions, so you can't be a grip and you can't be an electrician. 
stuff like that. But there are a lot of non-union positions in each of the tiers of movie making. You pay your dues, get the coffee, you learn about what people are doing here and how all this stuff works. I wanted to find a job like that. So I started asking around and someone referred me to a job in the production office on a show for a reputable network. Now, the person who referred me to this job held a lot of sway. And the person who hired me in the production office felt that they had the power, but they did not. I, I think you just described 98% of Hollywood. My boss-to-be was a woman. I'm a pretty big guy. And she was bigger, straight up physically imposing. And it started, you know, she was very friendly, which is like, great. This is going to be a great job. She described how we all treat each other like family here. I learned 15 jobs later. Every time someone says that, run. <laughs> yeah, major red flag. But at the time, I'm excited to go to work for this big, loving family. It started out reasonably well. I was a paper pusher, doing communications and echoing communication for the most part. A little bit of paperwork, but it was mainly being there to answer the phone, stuff like that. A little boring, but it is what it is. It was very long hours. It was like, we're going to work for seven days this week for 14 hours a day. And then we're going to come in next week and we're going to do this again. We would occasionally get Sunday off, but it was sort of like, that was our lives. This was partly because it was a low budget production. Right. They pay you less so they can screw you harder. Production logic at its finest. Now, because it's a low budget thing, one of the corners they cut was the studio that they were going to shoot it at. They made this remarkable deal at the studio that was going to be the perfect size. So everyone was excited to get to this place and shoot the show on a low budget. But then we get there and we find out part of the reason why they got this remarkable deal was because the studio manager was probably an ex-porn star, almost certainly on drugs the entire time. Love it. Love it. Not only was the stage manager difficult, she double booked the stage with a softcore porn. So you got this great deal, but you have to share the stage with these people who are making like sex noises during your takes. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. How did you find out this was happening? I mean, did you just like walk in one day and see people doing it? It wasn't a big stage. <laughs> we would show up in our parking spots and there would be like 150 people there coming in with like stripper clothes on and they would do casting sessions with the porn stars. We would look them up and be like, I think that's this one. I think that's this one. And we sort of follow them around and stuff. And, you know, some of them are pretty big stars. You know, one of them may have hung out with Charlie Sheen. Should we bleep that? I don't know. I mean, he wasn't saying it was Charlie Sheen, just that an unnamed person might have hung out with Charlie Sheen. Oops, we just said it three times. It's your classic Beetlejuice situation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very clearly a porn. It wasn't hidden. and It was a shared stage. We all had to know because we had to know they're going to be using this side of the stage today. So we're going to change our schedule and go to a location. Oh, we can't change our schedules for this day, so we're going to have to shoot on the same stage and trade takes. So, you know, hijinks and hilarity ensue, obviously. For example, they had their own craft service table, and we would occasionally go and steal their stuff because we were low budget and the porn stars had good food. <laughs> but then one time, a buddy of mine was getting some stuff, and there's, you know, like bowls of nuts and chips or whatever out on the craft service table. And, you know, like the good shows, they'll have like a scooper or something so that people with dirty hands aren't going to get in there or whatever. And my buddies are getting like a granola bar or something. And all of a sudden this woman wearing absolutely nothing but flip-flops walks up, reaches her whole greasy hand into the bowl of nuts and just takes a <laughs> handful of nuts and walks away. Was handful of nuts the name of their show? Maybe it was all a shocker reality show. 
I would 100% watch that. So meanwhile, the stage owner also had this sort of parade of employees. She would hire people, have them work for her for two weeks, three weeks, and when she wouldn't pay them, they would eventually leave. So the janitor leaves, and the trash cans are overflowing. The toilets are disgusting. The security guards leave. A rental house across the hall from us got robbed about half a million dollars worth of cameras stolen at one point. Holy shit. Now, because of this, some guy, I don't remember his name, and I'm not sure I should share it because he didn't seem like a very savory guy. (laughs) He came to help. He was from the stage owner's past. He was like an Italian guy from New Jersey who might remind you of a lot of the characters on The Sopranos. And he became the security guy and the janitor. So he's like cleaning toilets and stuff. Well, he happens to have a side gig. He's telling me and my friend about it. He's an armored car broker. He wouldn't get into the details about his past business, but it seemed like he might know a lot of people who would be interested in buying armored cars. And he showed us a couple of them. It looked like just a regular Escalade, but it's got, you know, metal inside the wheels and all bulletproof different grades and all that stuff. So he's taking care of the stage owner and then... Wait, wait, wait. Why do you think he was taking care of the stage owner? That's what we always wondered. What about their past? Why would he come and clean out dirty toilets? He was the nicest guy to us, you know, but he definitely seemed like the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of. So he was holding it together. The toilets were mildly clean and there was water added to the soap dispensers. But the downward spiral of the stage owner continued. And sometimes you would hear stories of, you know, drugs, alcohol, just very, very strange behavior. In the production office, the two bosses, the UPM and line producer, had doors. But above the doors, there wasn't a wall. So it wasn't very private. We could hear all their phone calls. My job was to sit there and answer the phone while they were on the phone with other people. I was a liaison of communication. This was a position of trust. And it's a little scary telling these stories. All this is outside my NDA because it's about the process of making the show, not about the show. But still, it's a little scary. And there are some things I don't feel comfortable sharing even now. You have great integrity. I admire that. So let's bring it back to you. You're in this crazy madhouse of a place in a really boring job that's taking over your entire life. You're working 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Why did you keep going? Because I felt obligated to the person who recommended me. Oh, wow. This person went out on a limb for me and put me in a position that he thought would be beneficial to everybody, including me. I didn't want that to come back and bite that person because he's good to me, you know? I think there's an important point there. People can try to do good, and then there's people in the middle who are not doing good, and it's through no fault of the person in higher power. It really amounts to anybody with any amount of power can abuse it. Which is a great lead-in to my boss. Who thought she had the power to make this deal with the stage owner. It kind of had a chip on her shoulder about me. I would later find out she considered me to be what they call a must-hire, which means that I was put onto her and she was forced to hire me, so I couldn't get fired. This actually wasn't the case. This was an incorrect assumption she made, which there were a lot of, but that colored our relationship. So like one desk lunch early in the show, she calls me in her office and says, I'm done. I was confused. She then points to her takeout trash scattered on her desk. I was still confused. Take this away, I'm done. She says, it was a major flex. Part of the gig was being takeout busboy, I guess. Did you at least get any tips? (laughs) Meanwhile, the work environment just kept spiraling. We show up to work one day and there's no electricity in the entire building. You need electricity to make movies. You need lights, you need air conditioning, you need sound, you need all kinds of electricity. So what's going on? 
Power's not on anywhere. We see the location guys on the porn. They were always on so much cocaine. You could just tell by like how fast they talked and their eyes were moving just in weird ways. They were just always on cocaine. Pretty much everybody over there was. They had been locked out because they hadn't paid the stage owner what they were supposed to pay her. So the stage owner locked them out of their sets. So they got a sawzall and sawed a hole through the wall next to the door to break open the door so they could start their shoot day. And they saw it through an electrical main wire and almost electrocuted themselves. Oh my God. This is the craziest shit I have ever heard. We had to figure out how to fix it. But fixing things was not high on my boss's agenda. She was more interested in controlling them. For example, I drive to work every day. So one day I show up to work and I get approached by the transpo captain who manages all the cars on the set union job. And he says, we were doing some scouting. We think your car would be good for the lead character. And I was like, cool. How much are you going to pay me? I'm broke and I need money. And he said, well, you got to work out your deal with. So I start calling around. I know people who are in the movie business and, you know, totally disconnected from this crew. So I'm like, I'm told they're interested in renting my car. I don't want to rake them over the coals. It's a low budget thing. But like, what should I ask for? Is 500 a day too much? Is 20 a day too little? I had no idea what to ask for. And after doing some research, including getting quotes from several rental houses, it was like, you know, good cars, 300 to 400 a day. Car like mine, probably 200. But I would do like 175 in the name of the low budget and being a team player. So I'm waiting at my desk for this to happen, just doing my job. And the transport captain really wants to get this going. He comes in. He's like, what's the deal? And he goes into her office and I hear some whispering over the wall. And they both come back out and she's like, congratulations. I heard they want to use your car. And I was like, well, yeah, it sounds like a good deal. So then she says, you're so lucky. I'm going to give you $500 for your car to use it for the show. And I said, "Okay, how many days? She turns to the transport coordinator and he goes, I don't know, five to eight, maybe. And so I was like, well, that's about $100 a day. $100 a day is pretty low. I've looked around, but it's a low budget show and I'm here because of and I would be okay with $100 a day. I've looked around. She leans over my desk, so imposing. And she's like, it's not $100 a day. It's 500 for the whole show. You're telling me you don't want $500? I really needed $500. Like, let's not kid ourselves. (laughs) But every siren was going off in my head. Like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. And so then I just sort of leaned back and I was like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And talk about control. She loved control. And she could not control me at this point. She's so mad. Slams the door. Transpo guy just kind of looks at me, shrugs, and walks away. I'm kind of just sitting there like, what the fuck just happened? And I hear over the wall. We had been talking all week about how we were going to work all weekend again, and it's going to be a holiday on Monday, and we're going to work through it all. And so I was like, did I just get fired? I wasn't sure. And so I kind of sat there for a second. It was a Friday. I was like, well, do you want me to come in tomorrow? No. Do you want me to come in on Sunday? No. Do you want me to come in on Monday? Yeah. You better be here on Monday. If I was firing you, you'd know it. Get out of here. (laughs) So you were basically like, hell yeah. Yeah. I'm like, God, I can take a break from this porn addled, cocaine addled insanity for like a couple days and maybe even get some sleep. And so I go home. 
I come back on Monday. Sylvia still acts like nothing's happened. What they ended up having to do was rent a car from one of these production facilities that ended up costing about $350 a day. And they used it for like 27 days. From that point on, I became the one to yell at when shit went wrong. And I kind of just took it. I wanted to do the whole, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, and I'm out. But I didn't because the person who put me up for the job, I couldn't do them like that. Oh, wow. You felt like you had to keep going to repay them for recommending you. How long before the end was it that this happened? This was before we started shooting. So the nightmares continued throughout the entire show, which, by the way, turned out to be amazing. Wait, what? How is that possible? It was. It was amazing. And I went to the rap party. You know, I'm still Facebook friends with but like, I don't think she knows how bad it went. <laughs> That's the thing. To anyone who's listening to these crazy stories, it's hard to tell what you're going to get when people are always saying, oh, we're like a big old family here. You find out after you work with them for six months or a year, it's like, is this the kind of place where I can find any upward mobility or not? This one was clearly no. And so, you know, I stuck it out, but eventually I moved on and I ended up doing the production office a few more times. So I got this sort of well-rounded, low man on the totem pole look at all the different departments in production. And eventually there was a job that was difficult for external reasons, not because of the producers who did treat people like family. And actually, I never even considered this, but I will bet the skills I learned through this process contributed to my ability to perform under pressure with this other group, who then brought me into the fold and got me closer to my ultimate goal of becoming a writer. That's awesome. Super encouraging, dude. Yeah, that's great. So let's imagine that you run into on the street today and you can say whatever you want to her with no consequences. What would that be? I hope you're doing better. I think that there are people who project their stress outwardly and take it out on other people. And I think she was one of these people. Genuinely, I think that she did mean well underneath a lot of misplaced arrogance for power. And I think that she was humbled by the entire process. I don't wish her ill will. Professionally, she did a terrible job in that instance, but the show ended up being really good and being very successful. There's a saying, you don't want to know how the sausage is made, and you don't. I think you don't want to know how the sausage was made when you're sitting on your couch watching the TV show. But for a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, they want to be the sausage makers. And the sausage maker has to know how the sausage was made. And I think you learned the hard way. There are way too many sausages in these sentences. There's a lot of sausage references there. <laughs> well, the thing is, there are easier ways to make sausage. We- <laughs> We can all live like normal people and treat each other with respect. And you know what? There are groups that live like normal people to a degree, treat each other with respect, despite the fact that they are essentially professional athletes. Like we are trying to make a big show in one of the highest profile careers that there is. And we have to act professionally and be professionals. We can still be humans to each other within the realm, you know? And I have now found several groups in my journeys that are that way. And they are usually the ones who are the least trying to sell you that they are that way. That's awesome. That's a great story. Let us all go in peace, my children. Woo! Make that sausage, baby. (laughs) There are so many better ways to make a sausage. I also love what the confessor said about being human to each other. That's kind of the core message of this podcast. Yeah, it basically is. Thanks to the confessor for articulating our brand so much better than we do. And speaking of finding ways to be human... 
That leads me to today's shout out, which comes to us from one of our listeners, comedy writer, actress, producer, Amy Baclini. Amy wanted to shout out one of her favorite people in the industry, indie film producer Matt Miller. Matt's films are regular favorites in festivals like Sundance, South by Southwest, and Cannes. They include The Grief of Others, Thunder Road, and so many others. Amy used to work for Matt as an assistant for his company Vanishing Angle, which back then was working primarily on commercials. You gotta start somewhere, right? For those of you who don't know, commercial production is a great way to cut your teeth and develop your skills, and make a decent living too. But god, it's notoriously grueling work. Extremely long hours, lightning fast turnaround. Y'all know what that life is like. You basically have none. And what's exceptional about Matt, in Amy's view, is that he recognized that and he decided to do something about it. So Matt started hosting what he called Fun Lab every week. It's a night when the Vanishing Angle crew could all get together, stop work, and just talk about what inspired them. Maybe it was a movie they saw or a beautiful sunset. And over time, this weekly gathering started generating spinoffs like a movie lab and an outing lab. And eventually it turned into a weekly meetup for writer producers who are workshopping their projects, of which I'm currently lucky enough to be a member. So kudos and thanks to Matt for finding all of these ways to make Hollywood a happier place. That writer producer group sounds amazing. Can I join? Mm, Sorry, insiders only. Forgive me, Father, for I have wanted to murder my podcast (laughs) co-host. Hollywood Confessionals, a true crime podcast from Ninth Way Media. The producer did it. That's a pretty good twist. Somebody should write that. That's all we've got for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Subscribe, review, hit us up at Fess Up Hollywood, and we'll have more wild confessions for you next time. Until then, create in peace, my children. The Hollywood Confessional is produced by Megan Dane and J.R. Zamorathal. Our cast for this episode, Austin Windham, Jake Fiedler, Claire Gruber. Special effects provided by Zapsplat and Pixabay. Hollywood Confessional is a Ninth Way Media production. Follow us on socials at Fess Up Hollywood.